The trial of Derek began yesterday. There's been all kinds of discussion about what is going on with that. There's been all kinds of concerns about what's going to happen if uh, this police officer is uh, found not guilty. There have been others who are concerned about what's going to happen if he is found guilty. We have experienced increasing tensions over social issues in our country in the last several years. Uh, it isn't really just the last year. This has been going on for some time. In fact, uh, I would say that, quite frankly, since about 2008, our country has been building in a great way on issues of division over social issues. We have been struggling about issues of ethnicity. We've been struggling about social economic issues. We've been struggling about issues of gender. We've been struggling about uh, religious differences and political differences. And that has caused so much division and turmoil in our country that many are wondering if there is any hope. Others are offering so many different alternatives. Some are saying the problem is capitalism and we need to get rid of capitalism. Some are saying that the, that the problem is there are, are all of the people in authority are, are uh, ethnically white. Uh, all of the, the people in authority, or most of the people in authority, are male. And people are saying, we've got to deal with this, these problems. And the only way to actually fix it is, is it shows we have a systemic problem in our country and in the Western world. And so anybody that is white should refuse to be in, in any position of leadership. There are those who say that anybody who is a white male should definitely refuse to be in a position of leadership. In fact, I have been increasingly surprised by white males who are claiming that and yet don't resign. It's confusing to me. One of my longtime friends, I read, he po posted on Twitter just a couple of days ago a statement he had made in an interview, and the interview was, it's time for white males to step down from positions of leadership and not only give a place at the table to other people of other ethnicities and of, other, and of the other gender, but actually give them the leadership role and step down. I desperately wanted to text him and ask him, so when are you resigning? But I did not. I've been in meetings over the last couple of years where that has where that's, those statements have been made. In fact, in one of them, by the, by the president of the Southern Baptist Convention right now, that uh, last year I was in a meeting, uh, it was a Zoom meeting because of COVID, but there was about 100 of us in the meeting, and we were all having different statements, and he came out and said, it's time that no white male take any position of leadership, and that we all place Either, either ladies or people of other ethnicities in every position of leadership in our convention. The problem is he was actually serving an unprecedented third term as the president because of the inability last year to have a convention. And all he had to do was simply resign and an African American would have been president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so while he ranted and raved about it, he did nothing to affect it himself. I've seen this repeated over and over. This morning, Dr. Williams sent Vice President King and I a message. We, we read these articles and we share them with the three of us. 
And one of them he sent me sent to us this morning was uh, was a story that uh, another institution of higher education, Harvard, in the music department, several of their professors have decided that they need to stand against sheet music because sheet music is is primarily about white males. They want to, in fact, I went to an article on, on two or three different sites to read about that this morning, and one of them that I read on Fox News, they are actually calling for us to get rid of making piano part of a music program because those who play the piano are really in the line of Beethoven and Bach and those guys who really were, were racist in their orientation and they wrote music that was only for white people. We live in a time that is very, very confused about what to do about all these issues. Many are calling it the council culture, and if you, if you go on social media, you'll be those talking about people counseling things and others saying, let's counsel the council culture. There's a great tension that is out there everywhere we look, and people are coming up with solutions about how to, how to overturn the system, what they call systemic problems whether it is in issues of race, whether it's issues in gender, whether it's issues of socioeconomic uh, division, whatever it is, and they're coming up with all of these ideas how we need to totally reinvent society, take away money from those who have it and give it to someone else. I thought about doing some of that myself, and I thought about what we could do. Uh, Tony, is uh, the, the last two weeks of every semester, you and I could get together and look at all of the work-study hours. And those who, who have work-study hours that they have not done, we could get those who have banked hours and take it from them and give it to the others so that we could have equality. How many of you would like to volunteer to do that? Yeah, that's what I thought. But that's the kinds of things that people are calling for and say that's the only answer. In fact, there are some Christians who have actually said this, both, both uh, people of different ethnicities, quite frankly, including those that have the same ethnicity that I do, which is uh, Irish and Dutch mix. And what, they, what some of them are calling for is say, saying, listen, if you are a, a white person, and particularly if you are a white male, you can do nothing about your your racist tendencies, the only option is for you to continually repent knowing that you can never truly be forgiven and change. But you'll spend your entire life repenting of something that there's nothing you can do about. It is problematic in the time in which we live. Into the midst of all of this turmoil, is there a word from God? Folks, I've got to tell you, there is a word from God i got to tell you that there is an answer. And the answer is the same answer that has been given by the Word of God every single time there has been disparity, every single time there has been tensions over social issues, whether it was ethnicity, whether it was uh, political factions, whether it was uh, economic issues, whatever it is, the same answer is the only answer that will ever remedy it, and it is the gospel. I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians in chapter 3. Galatians is all about the gospel. And it's all about 
understanding how the gospel makes a difference in all of these divisions that they were facing in the churches of Galatia. Though there were many, and we see that in our text today, the the primary issue was one of ethnicity and religious tradition. Those were the two primary problems in the churches of Galatia. There were people who had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then there were others who came from Judea, who came probably from Jerusalem, from that area, and they came into Galatia, and they began to tell them, well, this is really great that you've trusted Christ, that's wonderful, but you know, you're not really saved until you go through some other things. They wanted to take them and put them back under the law. Though they were not Hebrews, they were not Jewish, they wanted them under the law, and particularly the issue of circumcision for all of the men. They said, you must do this or you're not really saved. And they came proclaiming it as a gospel. And so Paul writes into the the churches of Galatia and he addresses the problems of the division, particularly in those two areas. But in our text, he goes today he goes even beyond that to other social problems that were there. And he gives us this message that only the true gospel will change a heart and only the true gospel is the answer for the divisions socially that you're experiencing. We come to chapter 3, and I wish we had time to walk through the entirety of the book, but we don't. But we come today to chapter 3, and we're going to look at the final paragraph of this chapter, beginning in verse 26 and reading through verse 29. He says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In this single paragraph that we have before us in verses 26 through 29, I want us to understand three crucial truths about the gospel that we see in this text and how we know that the gospel is the only solution for the tensions that we are experiencing today. Number one, I want us to understand that the gospel restores ethnicities, as one, all ethnicities, as one family. I chose every word of that very carefully. The gospel restores all ethnicities as one family. I want you to notice there in the first two verses that we read, In verses 26 and 27, how we see this in the text, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In these two verses, the Apostle Paul helps us to understand that only the gospel can really bring true restoration of all ethnicities into one united family. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, I don't use the term racial, I use the term ethnicity, because folks, there is only one race, and that is the human race. God created the world. Listen, I want you to understand that one of the problems of Darwinism and evolutionary thinking is that that in and of itself pits races against one another. 
It has been used repeatedly throughout its history to divide. I want you to understand that the Bible tells us in the first 11 chapters of Genesis that all humans came from Adam and Eve. We're all of the same race. We were all of one family. When the world became so bad that God destroyed it through a great flood that yes, as the Bible demonstrates, it is a worldwide flood and only Noah, his three sons and their wives survived. And so therefore, we don't even have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. We can go back to Noah because every one of us are part of Noah's family. I don't care what your language is. I don't care what your color is. I don't care what ethnic uh, parts uh, that you have in your life. I don't care where you have lived or where your family comes from. We all come from Noah. We're all one family. But I want you to understand that sin has distorted all of that. It distorted it in the beginning and it distorted it shortly after the flood. And it distorted so bad that God had to scatter us across the world. And sin began to cause the tensions that we now experience. We actually are living the results of sin in the world. And the results of, part of the results of that sin are the tensions between, between ethnicities and nations and languages. That's part of living in this fallen world. But here is the message of the gospel. Listen, I want you to understand, every single person from the time of conception, everyone who has ever been conceived is part of the human race and is created by God and bears the image of God. But not every single person is a child of God. He tells us right here in this text that God's God's making of us, God's creation of us has us all as one family, but that's always, uh, we, we recognize throughout Scripture has been distorted. But now notice what he says, the gospel restores all ethnicities into one family. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're a child of God. And, if, and since I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, you're my brother and you're my sister. I mean, that's the reality. You know, when I was growing up, everybody talked to each other that way. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. I mean, that's how people refer to each other. And there are still a few places in our country that do that. But quite frankly, wherever I travel, that's not the norm these days in our country. But everybody referred to each other that way in the church because they understood that, listen, we're a part of the same family. God has restored us to one family through the gospel message. And we're part of the family of God. When I was growing up, one of my favorite songs we used to sing at church was, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood, join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You are all sons of God, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your nationality, no matter what language you speak. We are united as sons of God. Now look how he tells us, through faith in Jesus Christ. 
that's right, right there is where we understand that only the gospel can unite us. Everything else is a failed attempt of human wisdom. Folks, we can overthrow capitalism and we can argue that we have a systemic racist problem in this country that is socioeconomic, that is ethnic related, that is language related, and we can, we, we can overthrow capitalism and remove every white person from any position of authority and we will still have a racist problem in this country. The only thing that unites us all as one family is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel message. Now, folks, the problem is, is the word gospel is being distorted. It was in this day. There are many who are, talk about uh, social justice in various ways. They talk about racial justice, or they talk about gender justice, or they talk about economic justice or political justice. And there are many in our society that are talking about those things, and they, they put with that and say, this is important because it's a gospel issue. And people are confusing what the gospel is. In fact, I have right here just a, uh, a statement made by a vice president of Southeastern Seminary, Walter Strickland, on October 28, 2018, when he said this, Christ said it himself to the disciples that a summary of the gospel is not to bifurcate loving God and loving your neighbor, but is to love God and neighbor. Stop there for just a minute. He has confused the great commandment and the second commandment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are not the same thing. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He actually confuses those two commandments with the gospel. Folks, the gospel is not that if you will keep those two commandments, you go to heaven. That is not the gospel. In fact, that is a distortion of the gospel completely. On top of that, he is actually d doing the exact opposite of what Jesus said in that text. Because Jesus' point in that text to the scribes and Pharisees is you must love the Lord your God first. He is separating the two. And he's saying if you love God first, then God will work in you so that you love others second. But those are both commandments. That is not the gospel. He goes on to talk about how that, how that Dr. James Cone uh, really guided him. He said, Dr. Cohn allowed me to see a new vista, a new space, a new avenue to allow the gospel to be made manifest. So I sort of look at what the gospel is doing as more a broad reality now. Not that I've switched the spiritual for the phys physical, but both. In, in his statements, he completely, and he does this in many other places, he completely confuses the gospel with the first great commandment and the second commandment and he, he unites them as one, and then he calls that the gospel message. Folks, I want to tell you something. If we have to love the Lord our God and love our neighbors ourselves in order to be saved, we're all in trouble. Because there is not one of us that do it perfectly all the time. And there never has been except for Jesus. 
We all sin. We all come short of the glory of God. In fact, this is very similar distortion in the name of the gospel that they were doing in Galatia. In chapter 1, turn back there with me for just a moment. And in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel which is not another. And we're reading in the New King James, it says, to a different gospel which is not another. The Old King James, in some translations, say another and another. It's actually two different Greek words. One meaning another of the same kind, and the other one another of a different kind. The first one, what he says here is, listen, I am marveling that you are turning away. He says, some who have uh, troubled you are perverting the gospel. He tells them that they have turned to a different gospel, a gospel of another kind, which, in verse 7, is not another of the same kind. So he says, they may be calling it the gospel, but it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were calling them to a work that must be done. And folks, I want to tell you, in the evangelical world, and sad to say, in Baptist life today, in the United States of America, there are people who are calling out and calling the gospel a work of racial reconciliation, a work of loving your neighbors yourself, and saying that is the gospel, and if you don't do it, you're not saved. Folks, I believe that we ought, to, we ought to love everybody. I just laid out very clearly to you that I believe that we are all from one race. But folks, I want you to understand that any work that I put forward, whether it is what they were doing in Galatia of saying you've got to keep certain aspects of the law, or if I take two of Jesus' commands and say if you don't do those, then you are lost, then any time I do that, that is a different gospel which is not another gospel of the same kind. It is altogether different. And Paul says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have already preached, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul says, if I wake up one day and change my mind about the gospel, then let me die and go to hell so that I do not lead others astray. He said, even if an angel from heaven appears to you. Listen, people have angelic experiences all the time. I had one in my office one day who came and told me that she had become an angel. People have all kinds of experiences. And I want you to understand, you can have a real experience that's a wrong experience. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, even if an angel claiming to be from heaven appears to you and tells you that the gospel is something more than what you've already learned, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, anybody comes to you saying that, then let him be accursed. Because folks, it is the lie of Satan to confuse people so that they go to a godless hell for all of eternity. This is crucial. And we cannot give it up. We must understand back in chapter 3 that we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And by the way, he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here's the key to how you love your neighbor. 
You not only receive the gospel, but you live moment by moment by grace through faith. He said, when you trusted Christ, you were baptized into Christ. The Holy Spirit baptized you into Christ the moment you trusted, trusted Him. Your water baptism is an outward sign of a, of a spiritual reality that the Holy Spirit took you and placed you into Christ. You are in Christ. We find that in a lot of Paul's writings. In fact, all of Ephesians, that's what we see over and over, is in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Christ. We are in Him. We are baptized into Him. And we have put on, literally we put on Christ. The word here for put on is like putting on a set of clothes. So when others look at you, they ought to be seeing Jesus. How did Jesus deal with the ethnic tensions between the Samaritans and the Jews? When everybody else would go 60 miles out of the way to avoid them, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. How did he deal with the, with the issues of gender in his day where men didn't talk to women in public? He sat down at a well and he shared with the lady how that she could have living water. When you put on Christ, you will not look at people based upon their gender. You will not look at people based upon their ethnicity. You will not look at people based upon what language they speak. You will not look upon people by what nation they come from. You will look at people through the eyes of Jesus. And any time we move beyond that, we are no longer walking in the Spirit and we have returned to walking in the flesh. The gospel is, causes all of us to be part of the family of God, but as a family, you've got to live that out. And we live that out by constantly, daily surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 being filled with the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 16 and going to the end of the chapter, walking in the Spirit. And as we are, He produces love and joy and peace and long-suffering in us and through us to other people. It's all about the gospel in reality. It's about the only way for anything to be resolved is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I cannot overturn the world. I cannot, I cannot build a political system, a governmental system, an, an educational system, an economic system that will fix the world's problems. I cannot do it and neither can anyone else. The only thing that changes lives is the gospel of Jesus. And it has been entrusted to you and I. The gospel restores all ethnicities as one family. The gospel, secondly, removes social status as primary. The gospel not only restores all ethnicities as one family, but the gospel removes social status as primary. Look in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is not a denial of reality. This is, a de this is a denial of priority. Let me say that again. This is not a denial of reality. This is a denial of priority. Paul is not saying there is no ethnicities. He's not saying there are no nationalities. He is not saying there are no languages. He is not saying there is no difference in economics. 
an economic status. He's not saying there's no difference uh, physically between men and women. In fact, all of Scripture, Paul elsewhere, and from Genesis to Revelation, denies all of that. God made us male and female. God uh, d- caused the, the division of languages. People, God scattered us to different places. We have nations that God has, ris- has raised up over the years. We have traditions that we have as, our, our nations, uh, as different nations and ethnicities. We have different languages. There has always been, and listen to me, there will always be on this earth disparity economically. There will always be this division economically. Some people will have a lot and some people will have a little and some people will be somewhere in between and some people will feel like they have absolutely nothing. That is part of living in a fallen world. This is not a denial of reality. But it is a denial of priority. See, where sin enters the problem is when we emphasize one over the other. When we say, I'm a Jew... And so, therefore, my way and my traditions are right. We're not talking about the Word of God, but my traditions. And the Jewish tradition was circumcision and other keepings of the law, the foods they would eat and so forth. And and these people wanted to, to say, listen, our way is the right way, and so you must do this. It had nothing to do with what God's Word said. It had nothing to do with the gospel message. It had to do with the priority of my culture. And by the way, notice what he says, not only there is neither Jew, he said there is neither Greek either. Because there were places in Galatia, as there were in Corinth, as there were in other places around the world, who did the opposite, and actually the other ethnicity, or the other uh, socioeconomic position, was raised up higher, and said this is the better way. Listen, our, our ethnic differences, our language differences, they are differences, our traditions, our culture. Listen, I enjoy culture of other people. I love to get to know folks of other cultures. That's why I, I, I just, uh, throughout my years, have loved preaching in churches where I have to have a translator. And I love to eat a meal with them. Sometimes I don't ask what I'm eating. But I love to do that. And I I love to experience what they're experiencing. I love to learn from their cultures. It's a wonderful thing. I I grew up in a a very strange situation that sometime I may tell you about. Where I, I, I was not the minority in my town. But the fact of the matter is, is, is it gave me an appreciation for many different cultures. In fact, my wife would tell you that really I am a Mexican. So I know you don't look like it, you don't sound like it, but just getting to try to have an accent from any other place in the world and it always comes out Mexican. And that's true. And she also would tell you that Mark would eat Mexican food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if she would allow it. I, I, I just, I, I love that culture. But I also love Ethiopian culture. And, and, I, love, and I love Chinese culture. And, and, and I'm getting to, to know more and more uh, about uh, Bhutanese and Nepalese. And, and I, I love learning from different cultures that are out there. It's wonderful. But no culture 
should be over another culture. In fact, the ideas of critical race theory and intersectionality that says, listen, we have a systemic problem and we got to decide who has the most intersections of being a minority. So a person with, with say, uh, that, that is, uh, let's just pick Mexican, they're, they're Mexican and they are uh, a male or a female and they actually identify as a male and they have homosexual relationships. That person is the most disenfranchised person in our country. So that's the person we need to, to be our leader. By the way, if you look at our current administration, that is being pushed big time. And, and that idea of doing that is, is not really bringing equality. It's turning the disparity in another direction. And it's the same problem. It's the same problem. Paul says, listen, the gospel not only restores all ethnicities as one family, but it removes social status as primary. He's not denying that there's a difference between Jews and Greek. In fact, if you don't believe me, go to Romans chapter 9 through 11 later and see him talk about the differences. He's not denying that. He's not arguing for a replacement of the Jews in this text. It's very clear because in the parallel text in, in Romans, he makes that very clear. He is not saying that, uh, that there should, should not be, that, that all the males are, are a problem and so all the females should be raised up. No, he's saying that, that neither one is of more value to God than the other. The concept of slavery, we are so confused about that today when we read Scripture, and this is a problem. There are people who say that the Bible supports, uh, supports slavery, and they misunderstand what slavery was. Slavery was more economic, and it was more like I'm in debt, and I can't pay my debts, and so therefore, maybe forced or maybe by choosing, I sell myself into slavery. If you were in the Jewish system, then every seven years, all the slaves were set free, even if their debt wasn't paid. If you were in the Gentile system, you had to stay there until you paid your debt or until it was forgiven. It was an issue of, of man, I've overextended myself and I, I can't take care of my own needs and so I'm going to go hire on as someone's slave until the debt is paid. It was a slavery in the sense that you served the master and the master was over you, but it was not what we have seen in this country as slavery, which is horrific and horrible. This is not good, but that certainly was not good. That's not what it's about, but what he is saying is, listen, in the sight of God, it doesn't matter what your social economic condition is. In fact, he makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, another text you ought to walk through sometime, where he says, listen, however you were called, that's how you should remain, unless God gives you an opportunity for change and then take it. So he told them, if you are enslaved right now, and again, it's economic slavery, don't seek to be let, re released from that. Just be a good person to your master and pay the debt. But if you're not, if you're free, then realize that, hey, I am God's slave, and therefore I should not put myself as a slave to someone else. I should be more careful with my, with my economics so I don't get there. And that's what he describes. But his point is, is this. It doesn't matter if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're free. It doesn't matter if you're the poorest of the poor or the richest of the rich. There is only one thing that will change your heart and change your life, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So no matter all of those social issues, we could say if you're Democrat or Republican, we could throw that one in there. We could say all of those things. 
But, but all of these social issues, God's word has the answer for, and the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he tells us the gospel restores all ethnicities as family, the gospel removes social status as primary, and the gospel replaces division with true, with true unity for eternity. Let me say that one again. The gospel restores or replaces division. The gospel replaces division with true unity for eternity. True unity. Listen, everybody talks about unity, and what they tend to mean is uniformity. But the gospel, the Bible, when it talks about unity, it talks about uniting around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel restores unity, true unity for eternity. Look what he says in verse 29. And if you are Christ, so if you've trusted Christ, you, you've responded to the gospel in faith, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now again, if you want to unpack this, you need to go look at Romans 9 through 11. Because there, he, he breaks this out in grave detail. And he says, listen, God's not through with the Jews. He has a plan for the Jews. But God has engrafted all of those who trust Christ into that family. And we now are heirs together with them. We are heirs together of the promises to Abraham. Of the promises to Isaac and Jacob and to Judah, to David. The promise, if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, as we're learning about on Thursday nights in Revelation class, one of these days, you are actually going to be able to rule and reign with Christ from Jerusalem. And who knows where He'll dispatch you. But you, those promises to Abraham, if you've trusted Christ, you have been grafted in. You are joint heirs as one of Abraham's seed. And ultimately, you will rule and reign with Christ for eternity. True unity. The gospel breaks down the walls of separation, whether they're ethnic, whether they're language, whether there's nationality, whether they are economic, whether they are political. No matter what those divides are, the gospel breaks them down. And ultimately, in the future, we will all be united as one for all of eternity. There is no economic system, there is no educational system, there is no governmental system in all of creation that can do that. Only the gospel. The gospel is not racial reconciliation. The gospel is not in any way social Reconciliation. The gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of two crucial issues that threaten the work of God in the church today. And I'm not talking about a threat from outside. We're always going to have those. I'm talking about threat from within. Too many people have bought Satan's lie 
and are exchanging the gospel for another gospel, which is not another. It is a false theology. That's why I wrote Words Matter. If you don't have a copy, come by and see Michaela this week, today or tomorrow, whenever she's in the office, and she'll give you one. It won't cost you anything. If you don't have a copy, I'm giving it so you know that. So <laughs> she just heard that, so I'm giving it to you. Because this is crucial. If we start preaching a false gospel, then we are of no use to eternity. We must not abandon the gospel. Secondly, I want to commend another book to you. I can't give you this one because this is the only copy I have for one reason. A Corruption of Consequence, Adding Social Justice to the Gospel. This book just came out by my friend Ronnie Rogers. My only contribution is on the back page and in the, in the early pages of the book where I, um, I commend the book. Uh, but um, this, this is a, a crucial book for the hour. It really is a wonderful companion to Words Matter. Words Matter, I, I explain the problem in general, and I give the solution. And in Ronnie's book, what he does is he delves in and shows how far this has infiltrated the evangelical world and Baptist life. You need to read it. They're both short. You can read them quick. They're not as short as that one, but they're short. They're important. This is crucial. I, uh, I tell people occasionally, I don't say it too often anymore because I don't want to be misunderstood, but uh, I'm going to tell you today. I was, uh, I was brought up as a minority. Uh, when I was uh, just a toddler, my family moved from the farm and we moved into Pueblo, Colorado. And um, we, we lived in a minority world. Um, Pueblo is, uh, last I knew, it was around 85% uh, non-white. Um, actually, the 15% included everything uh, except, for, except for Hispanic. Um, and uh, actually, when I went to grade school, when I went to elementary school, I was, uh, I was one of three white people of about 30 kids in, um, in my grade at uh, my school. Um, I was not only ethnically a minority, I was religiously a minority. Um, the, the vast majority of our, of our town were extreme Catholic, Roman Catholic. Um, I was not only uh, ethnically and religiously a minority, I was also uh, a political minority. My parents were Republicans, and uh, we were one of about 10 in the town, it seemed like. No, there's a few more than that, but not many. Um, in addition to that, I was economically a minority in our town. To let you know what I mean, I'm just going to give you a couple of quick examples. One, my dad lost half, more than half, 17 years of his seniority at a, um, at a steel mill that he worked at. And the union, I sat in the meeting with him as a teenager, and the union boss says, you're white, 
you're a Baptist, you're a Republican, there is no way in the world we will help you. You, you are going to lose 17 years of your seniority and you will be forced to retire early and you will get about 35 to 40% of what is due you for retirement. And that's just all there is to it. The president went on to say, if you would just be a Democrat, I might overlook the other things. But with all of that against you, there's no way we will help you. And so my dad retired, and after 36 years of service at a steel mill, when most people retired with a very good salary, my dad retired at $225 a month. Back up. Believe it or not, you don't have to. God knows it's true. In elementary school one day, I saw a group of 15 guys dragging a girl across the playground and across the rocks. Myself and a friend, his name was Scott, we were the two white boys. He had braces on his legs, and I said, Scott, we can't let this happen, let's go. And we walked over and we intervened. The young girl got up and ran, and within seconds, we were surrounded by 16 people. The leader of the group pulled a knife out at me, and about half the group pulled out chains and started just going like this and coming closer. Elementary school. What do you think you're doing, honky? Come on, white boy. And a bunch of other racial slurs I will not use. They moved in closer and closer. I grabbed Scott and said, stand on my back. And I got ready. And just before he came at me with the knife, a teacher intervened. Broke it up. And as we were walking away, they said, we're meeting after school. After school, we met or so I thought we would do. All day, every break, Scott said, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to fight. And he said, you're crazy. <laughs> and I said, well, you don't have to, but we're going to fight. And so after school, we waited. Scott lived a half a block from the school. We could see his house from the school. I lived four blocks away, and you couldn't, I mean, after a corner, nobody would see us. So we stood and we waited until 4 o'clock. School let out at 3. We waited an hour. And finally I said, Scott, go home so I can see that you make it home. And then I'll go home. He said, Mark, you can't do that. you got farther to go than I do. And I said, Scott, you got braces. There's 16 of these guys. I'm bigger than you. Don't worry about it. Go. He insisted that he was closer to home and he could make it home, so I left. The next morning I came into school and Scott had two black eyes and his lip was out to here. They waited till I was gone and all 16 of them jumped him and beat him to a pulp. I don't pretend to understand what people of other ethnicities in our country have gone through. 
What I do know is what I went through. And I got to tell you, through my elementary years, and even after I started preaching, and in my, in my early teen years, I was an angry man. And I was always ready for a fight. I was always ready for somebody to pull a knife on me. And it happened more than once. And I was always ready to go after it and to rip them apart. And during my junior high years, God began to convict my heart about my anger and my rudeness. He says, you're preaching and you're living like this. I said, God is injustice. I'm defending myself. And I came up with all kinds of things. And I'll never forget the day that it changed. I was delivering my papers. and A guy came to me who was a well-known boxer in our community of a different ethnicity. And he says, give me your money. You're going down if you don't. And I remember I had these paper bags on. I just grabbed my bags and I pulled them off. I set them down. I turned around. I was ready. And God's Spirit convicted me. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not going to fight you. He says, yeah, you are. I said, no, I'm not. And he came like he was going to swing. And I just put my hands down to my side and I just stood there. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I told you I'm not going to fight you. He said, why not? I said, because Jesus has changed my life. And I said, come with me. He said, where are we going? I said, just come with me. And I took him to my house. We walked in and I said, Dad, this is my new friend. I said his name. I said, he needs to be saved. My dad opened his Bible. And he led into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we became friends. He started going to church with me. In a couple of weeks, he was baptized. Listen, the gospel is what breaks down the barriers. And nothing else will. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I've asked you before to commit yourself to never abandoning the authority of the Word of God. Today I ask you to commit yourself to never compromising the gospel message. It is the only power to change your heart, my heart, and anyone else's. But when we believe the gospel, when we put on Christ and live daily submitted to His authority, His Spirit empowers us. And the fruit of the Spirit flows from our life. And we refuse to compromise the gospel no matter the pressure. And we proclaim the truth of the gospel. And people respond to it. The gospel restores all ethnicities to one family. The gospel absolutely removes all of these social identities as a priority. 
And the gospel will unite us for all of eternity. It's the only thing that will. Would you just pray, Lord, help me to never compromise the gospel. Lord, may that be the case. In Jesus' name, amen.